I want to just say, watching that video, it feels like a lifetime, and yet that's been a year of God's kindness, His favor, His grace, and it really is my greatest privilege to be a part of this story, and it is my greatest privilege to walk with incredible people of Life Changes Church and do life together as we navigate towards everything that God has for us. And we do take this moment in the life of the year, once a week a year, where we fix our eyes and we look a little bit back to see what God has done and how faithful He has been, and then we throw our vision forward because I've realized vision is an incredibly important reality. For family, it's important. I have a six-year-old, a nine-year-old, an 11-year-old, a 41-year-old, and a 42-year-old. There we go. And our perspectives of the world, my perspective of the world with an 11-year-old is quite different to mine. And so it's important as a family we have vision. And I would say as a church, it's just important that we understand the vision and the mandate that we believe we are called to. And it's also more important, this is our 21st year. And I don't know if you know, but if you want to know what it's like to be 21, ask Josh. It's good, eh, Josh? I mean, it's great, eh? It's great. But it's an exciting time of life. There's potential. There's opportunities. God has brought us this far, 21 years of breakthroughs, 21 years of, of salvations, 21 years of God's goodness and His kindness to us. But we get to look forward and say, God, what more could there be in you? Your faithfulness, your kindness to go preach in Milneton and see all the faces, those who weren't there two, three years ago when we planned that community, knowing the fears as we navigated. What could it look like? What could it be like to be a family where we send our favorite redhead to um, Milneton? God has added redheads. Thank you, Lord. You sow and God gives. He is faithful to his promises. And, um, but Proverbs 29 tells us that a people without vision perish. We want to move forward into everything God has for us. It's a, I believe there are adventures awaiting. This is not about just church. This is about people taking hold of the promises of God. Business people saying, I believe in God. My, I want to plant a business with courage and faith to see transformation come to the city. This is where people who step up and say, we want to be a part of the answer to this nation, to homelessness, to education systems, whatever it is, that we have the Spirit of God inside of us. He pulls us into these restorative stories at this time. Along the way, God's kindness has been revealed so many times. Just a few years back, I mean, 21 years ago, this church planted by an amazing couple, and we'll keep telling you about them because we think they're awesome, and they're coming to be with us in March, which is really, their name are Wally and Shirley Gersma. They got in a car with their two young daughters, drove to Cape Town, had zero friends, started life groups of every night of the week because that's when their neighbors could come. And they started loving the city of Cape Town. And we get to enjoy this, and we get to enjoy the moments and the gatherings and across the city and the pioneering because people stood out in faith and said, we're going to do something crazy for Jesus. And then a few years ago, we said, and we said, well, maybe God's calling us. We've got people driving from other parts of the city across. Maybe God's calling us to plant a church. What could that look like? How could that work? And we planted Moonton, and life of God is all over it. I just walked in there this morning. I haven't had the privilege of being in a little while and seeing the faces and the stories and the diversity of age, of culture, of everything. I'm saying, thank you, Jesus. You are building something. And then we double service this meeting. Like, will people still come? Will we have a meeting with seven people in? Yes. Leaders have insecure moments. That's why you don't see me turn around for the first 20 minutes of church. I just worship Jesus. My mandate here is to worship Jesus, not to see who's at church if anyone's here. Yes, my wife is here. Win. It's like it's all these things. And then as we navigate this year, next week we are planting a church in the middle of Cape Town by the grace of God because of his faithfulness and not because our ability to make a plan. I'm a Durban boy key. 
I like a deal. I want to make a plan. And God said, you're not in the equation. I'm going to do something you can't do. And God has provided. So we're super excited, but we don't navigate this day every year a new vision. We need a new vision for church. What's the vision? No, we're simple people, so we put it on the wall. Reach far, raise up, release wide. That is our vision. That's what we're on about. That's what I'm on about in my own life. It's what I'm on about in my marriage and in my family, and I'm on about it in the life of the church because I don't think it should be that complicated. I wrote something a year ago. I want to read it out for you. I believe in the power of the local church, not called to follow the world, but to lead, not called to be influenced, but to influence, not set apart to hide, but set apart to shine for his glory, not called to be a church on the block, but a city on the hill, not boring in its ventures, but risk-taking in the goodness of their God. Not impotent slaves waiting for their master's return, but empowered sons and daughters taking ground in his power. The church is awesome. She has never been more challenged, but she has also never been more full of potential. The vision for and of the local church is never any man's. Then it is of this world and will always lack the power of heaven's army behind it. The vision for and of the local church is the vision of the bridegroom for his bride the one he lived and died for, the one he will return for, and he will wait in eager expectation of his, and we wait in eager expectation of his return while we have the privilege of partnering with heaven and seeing earth invaded for his glory. I believe this. My life is this. The story we are building and investing is this. And I'm gonna finish with a picture that will show you this. But as we navigate this vision, part of today is to to make sure that as people have been added, as we've grown and we're planting, we're on this mission together with clarity. The first one is to reach those far from God. Jesus comes and he takes 12 disciples, says, follow me. And as you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And I would imagine them standing going, well, we're following you. Why don't you make them fishers? Why don't you just reach them? Why don't you do miracles like you do? Why don't you just preach like you do? The best preacher ever. You just do it. He says, no, I want to take you on a journey of reaching the ends of the world for my glory. Central to our mission and mandate is this mandate that we are called to be a part of this reaching story. You are called. It's not, oh, God raises up evangelists to do that, Mark. And you're right. That is part of his packaging, part of his gift mix to the church. But he also says, I want you to be the hands and the feet accountants. Oh, I'm an accountant, not evangelist. Oh, really? What is gay? What do you call accountants? What do you have a special name for? Bean revivalist. No, that's a coffee barista. Awkward. We're going to move forward because he wasn't quick enough. But, but the, t- the times that we live in demand the mandate of God's mission to be central to everything we do. I honestly believe the church can quickly slide into a self-centered, self-focused reality where we forget the bigger mission. And you know what will happen at the end of that journey? We'll irritate each other. We'll start seeing the faults in each other. That's why God says, I've got a bigger story. And as you go on the mission and the mandate, my grace will be upon you. My goodness will pour over you. There's a big story at the end of that called the mission of God. Will you catch men? Will you follow me? And it It looks like for us a few different things. Maybe say, well, why Sunday gatherings? Well, this is part of it. In our culture, in our world, people are still aware the church gathers on a Sunday. So when we gather, we want to serve them really well. Why is coffee so important, Mark? Oh, idolatry of coffee. No, our city loves coffee. And because our city loves coffee, we have to serve them the best coffee we can. So when they come, they feel well hosted. It's a simple thing. There's a mandate to be hospitable. 
Hospitality is not just entertaining those who walk through the door. It's loving the stranger. Those who are different to you from different backgrounds, different story. There's a mandate to do that well. And we choose to do that on Sunday gatherings as well. Why plant a church? To reach far. We have young people, a young married guy, met them, they are driving from Hart Bay to Milnerton to go to church. I'm going, God, that's a bit weird. But they found life. They found family. They found a story they can buy into and lay their lives on. A drive on a Sunday is not an issue. And we're saying, well, we'll go closer so that friends and your friends who work in the city, we can encourage them and encounter them. Say, come along. Buy into something that's bigger than us. It's called the mission and the mandate of God. Why? Vox Youth. Stand up, Josh and Jerry. These are our youth leaders. Yes, and it is a miracle. <laughs> we believe. No, I'm joking. Sit down before I carry on. But these are the sons of thunder. These are guys that I love profoundly. And they have a massive heart for young people of the city. And we need to be backing them. We need to be celebrating what God is doing on Friday nights and during the week amongst our young people. We need to find, give people an opportunity, and our youth is growing, and God is doing amazing things as people encounter God and have a whole bunch of fun along the way. won't tell you what that fun looks like sometimes, but, uh, but then there's life kids behind these doors serving people from our city, serving their kids, loving them well, people laying down their lives to invest into kids, everything from young, small, small kids through to teenagers. Is that a thing? I'm going to go with that anyway. Tweenage. And why Arise Conference? And we bring in an amazing speaker like Wendy Virgo, who's had 40, 50 years of ministry experience to come and invest because we want to serve our city. We want to give people opportunity. Why would the hosting be spectacular? Because we want to serve them well. Then the second part to that mission, if you're struggling to keep up, the notes are on the wall. Raise up. We want to raise people up in Christ. Not just, we want to raise them up in Christ. And he gives this, this mandate, says, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Go, fetch them, reach them, but make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Grow them up. Part of disciple making is taking the insecure and leading them to the security that is promised in Jesus. Part of disciple making is taking the depressed and revealing to them the joy that can be found in Jesus. Part of that journey is sometimes tough. It's sometimes messy, but it's the most glorious journey we get given called partnering in the gospel, raising people up from death to life. He does the raising. We just get to partner in the journey and to show him in that journey what Christ looks like. And it's simple mechanisms, not new mechanisms. It's life groups. And Gabe put up the stats, but we still have a lot more people who are needing to get connected into smaller groups. I promise you. And here's a promise I, I will, you can take me on about. If you give yourself to gathering in smaller groups, you will grow whether it is Monday night coming and being a part of the Bible college and saying, I want to take a hold of God's word. I promise you at the end of the journey, you will grow, you will love God more, and you'll find yourself able to stand when the storms and the winds come. Or smaller groups where you gather around with people from different backgrounds and different stories, and God deals with things like prejudice and pride and smallness. He does that on couches and living rooms while people drink your coffee, drink your Milo, use your toilet paper, and leave. That's what life group looks like. Well, it did for me for 12 years. It's the greatest times of my life. I'm being serious. Made some of the best friends of my life. Uh, uh, many of you know I went away with five friends last year. All five of those guys I've done life group with. I was in some of theirs. They were in mine. We did life together. We did marriages together. We did highs and lows together. But we didn't know each other until we joined something called a life group. 
Bible College, Life Changes Recovery. I, I don't know if you know, but part of our care system is we have a recovery process on a Monday night in that courtyard there. About 50 people, 45 to 50, who are currently in recovery come through to a meeting and are on an active journey of recovery. Then in that room, there's about 30 to 35 people who are the spouses or parents of the crew in this room are navigating their journey in partnering with recovery from addiction. And then in that room, they're the children of people in recovery so that we can love their kids, take them on a recovery journey. I don't know what dead to life looks like for you. I don't know what a discipleship journey, it looks like that to me. I just drive past on a Monday night, see a full car park and go, come on, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It exhilarates everything. And then we bring in gifts like in March. We have a very, very exciting month of March. We've just called it birthday month. The church wasn't actually planted in March, but we just named it birthday month anyway. We're going to celebrate because we have Terry and Wendy Virgo coming the first weekend of March. We have Rory, uh, Wally and Shirley Gerstmeyer coming for two weeks in March. And in the third week of March, we have Rory and Mel Dyer, who are all massive gifts. And the Bible says God gives us these gifts, these Ephesians 4 gifts, not just to entertain us on a Sunday. These aren't guest speakers. Please don't get me wrong. These aren't guest speakers who will wow you, you'll leave and go, that was, these are apostolic men and women with grace gifts upon their lives to grow the church up into maturity. That's why we bring these people in, because we want to see everything God has for us, and we need to grow into maturity for that. And lastly, to release wide for the kingdom. And um, the, the challenge is, he takes these disciples, he reaches them, he raises them up, he says, actually, so the whole world may know. There's this mandate. We get this mission, and it's spectacular. God gives us Matthew 20. It says, actually, all authority, therefore go, baptize them, and surely I'm always with you to the end of the age, the very end of the age. God is with us in this mandate. And our release wide is not just release more life groups. That's part of it. You know what excites me more? People saying, I, I, I loved, one man came to me on the Sunday evening service, says, hey, we did that series the end of last year. It, it called us to radical faith. I'm leaving my cushy corporate job, and I'm pioneering into a new business because I have a dream for 10 years and believe God has called me, and he'll use it for his glory. That's what Release Wide looks like. People who find courage and confidence in the call of God for their life, secure in his love, jumping out to see transformation and change. People jumping into spheres of academics and politics and economics to see transformation come to our city, empowered by the Spirit of God in that journey. You guys with me? I'm very pumped. I live for this stuff. Uh, this is what, what brings me, what keeps me up at night, keeps me praying. And it'll partner in many ways. It looks like planting a church and releasing some folk within our midst to go be a part of that. It'll look like that. It'll also look like planting, partnering with others who are planting churches. And we are partnering with friends around the country. We're also partnering with something called ARC, which is an associate of related churches who are planting churches with many different church brand names. I actually couldn't give a hoot what brand name they are as long as they preach the name of Jesus and people are getting saved and encountering that love. And we'll sow time, energy, finance into that story because we believe in the planting of local churches. We're partnering in many different ways. One of them is Recycle Swap Shop. Gabe spoke about 45 tons of plastic raised with very little resources. And one lady put up her hand last year and said, I'll take that from Rio and Maria and I'll run it into fruitfulness. One of the greatest results of that is there's one lady who's been a part of Recycle Swap for years. It is her only source of income. She has been able to build herself a house in the Eastern Cape from Recycle Swap Shop. That's just one story. 
And, and, and maybe you're saying, I've got a bit of time, I've got a bit of energy, I've got a bit of finance to sow into something like that. Get a hold of society, get a hold of the office, find out about the spectacular project that's seen transformation come. Wayne and Jen leading Site 5 and Faith Village into Danoon for the last decade. Consistently, faithfully sowing meals, sowing love, sowing care, and sowing the gospel into this incredible area of our city. And, and we've seen incredible fruit. If you're saying, actually, I'm up for that, I want to go on a journey, speak to them, find out what it entails. I saw the photos of the team that went in yesterday morning, and I'm just, my heart explodes when I see people going across all sorts of things, finding courage to go on journeys and seeing transformation come to our city at this time. That was a lot. Everyone take a breath. <laughs> Welcome to church. But in these last few minutes, I want to present something of what it looks like for us this year as our vision doesn't change, but God gives us something of an encouragement towards how we get on that journey together. In 2016, he spoke a word that fundamentally affected us as a church, and he spoke a word of pioneer again. And in that year, Wally and Shirley saying, actually, we feel like we need to pioneer again. Later on in life, going on this adventure, leaving the safety of this house to go. And for the last four years, they've been doing that, and we resource and empower that journey as well and back it. Then God spoke to us and challenged us, actually, behold and be bold. I'm calling you to bold steps of faith. And that's when we navigated the Milnerton community plant which, to be honest, took boldness. It wasn't a way any of us had been before. Some of our mentors and people speaking said, actually, there's risk, there's factors. But God's kindness and faithfulness, 2018, moved the mountains, trusting God for breakthroughs and trusting Him for, for miracles. And 2019, into the deep, as God said, actually, there's risk and danger in the deeper waters, but the greatest catch is there too. Will you be a people who will keep per pursuing into the deep with Jesus? But as we've navigated this year, I believe there's a truth about Jesus, which number one has been abused and, and much of the church has actually pushed against this character factor of who Jesus is that God is restoring. And that's where 1010 comes from. In 2020, we're going back to 1010. And that 1010 is John 1010. In this chapter of John, Jesus presents himself as a good shepherd. Say this, I am a sheep. Some of you didn't say it with conviction. <laughs> say, I am a sheep. We are all sheep. And Jesus says, you are my sheep. So here's some interesting things about sheep. Not the most attractive animals in the world. Just sorry. They're not super bright animals. They follow. One walks off a cliff. Another will follow if that's the part. They, they, and, and so Jesus says, I know without a good shepherd, myself, Jesus... Being our shepherd, we'll struggle. He says, but with a good shepherd, we'll go on the journeys we need to go on. We'll see the fruit we need to see. We'll see the breakthrough we need to see. And he presents this in John chapter 10. And I just want to look at a section from John chapter 10, verse 9. It says this, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Thank you, Jesus. And will go in and out and find pasture. That's all in Jesus. Then he says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In 2020, our 21st year as a church, I'm trusting for God to reveal to us abundance, the promised abundance in Christ. It looks like many things, and many have used it, and even driving here, there was a church stick on the back of a car, hashtag abundance, and I'm saying, God, I don't want a mixed message. I want the promise that you give me at this time. I, I want to pray that my marriage wouldn't be average. I want an abundant marriage. 
That's when all the husbands go, amen. Okay, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to pray that I have an abundant marriage. Much better. And, and it's, I want God's abundance in provision, even in tough economic times. I want God's abundance in understanding His grace, His mercy, His goodness, and His kindness. I need to understand the abundance of God in these things. A couple simple points from this one scripture. Number one, the enemy is a thief. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. To live a life denying there is an enemy to your soul and your relationship with God is to live with your head in the sand. The minute you gave your life to Jesus, you said, I am for Jesus and I have an enemy. And he puts his mark, says, okay, game on. I'm just telling you, maybe you, you didn't get that told to you when you gave your life to Jesus. I'm telling you, you got pulled into a story. You get a king, you get his kingdom, and ultimately you get his victory. But on this side of eternity, there's a battle, and there's an enemy who wants to rob, steal, and destroy. Jesus tells us. He's not hiding it from us. He's saying, well, how do you deal when someone wants to steal? Well, in a natural environment where you want, someone wants to steal, you go to all the windows. You block up with burglar guards. And, and you just have to go around the one of the fastest growing industries, even in economic recession in South Africa right now, is security. Well, how do you face an enemy who's come to rob? You secure your soul. Why are we fasting for 21 days? Because I know I have to secure my soul in Jesus, in his word, in his presence. And in his promises, I'm called to secure my soul in him. And Jesus says there's this gift called fasting. Won't you jump on that plane? Not out of some religious understanding or, or action. No, but a grace gift given to secure your soul. Why? Because there's an enemy. And I want to tell you the safest place. I've said it many times in this pulpit. But when I secure my soul in Jesus, that is the safest place I can be. It doesn't matter what battle I'm in. The safest place David could be was on a battlefield facing a giant called Goliath because God was with him. The safest place Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego could be was in a fiery pit because God was with them. The safest place Daniel could be was in a pit with hungry lions because God was with them. The safest place Jesus could be was on a cross dying for my sins and your sins because God was with them. So the safest place I can be is in Jesus. It's just the safest place. And I don't come fasting saying, God, are you with me? No, I, I just, God, I've come to drink deep of a relationship with you. I'm pushing in. I'm pursuing to know you more. We're facing our enemies because joy being robbed from you, well, I would say get back in his presence. Health being stolen from you, get back in his presence. We'll trust the God who is our safe place. Number two, simple points today. <laughs> You'll say that most weeks are simple points. Um, we get life. We get life. This is when you get excited. We get the gospel says we were born sinful, broken, with no way to the Father. But Jesus came and died, and we get his life. And where I should have got a death sentence, I get life. It doesn't make sense unless you get his word and his truth. But in his truth and in his word and in his love, it makes perfect sense. I get life. It's the best news ever. But I want to tell you that that life promise is not just for an eternity to come. Too many Christians walking around the world, yes, I've got life. It's in my back pocket. It's a fire insurance from hell. So one day when I cross over into eternity, I'm good. Thanks. What a small picture of what Jesus has done. 
Why can we have fun and laugh a bit at church? Why can we enjoy relationships? Because he gave us life. And the church should be full of life. And our young people should be passionate and seeking life. Because he promises us life. But I want to jump onto the next point just for time. Point number three, a very simple point, abundant life. (laughs) I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think Jesus doesn't waste words. He had three years. He had a certain amount of words. He he was going to say everything intentionally. He could have just stopped and said, I came that they might have life, full stop. Would have been a great promise. Still, eternity with Jesus. He says, I came that they might have life and life abundant in its fullness. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, life is a matter of degrees. Degrees. Some have life, but it flickers like a dying candle and is indistinct as the fire in the smoking flax. Others are full of life and are bright and vehement like the fire upon the blacksmith's forge when the bellows are in the full blast. Christ has come that his people may have life in all its fullness. This word life and pronounced peri, peris, peris, I'm not even going to go there. Paris, I got it earlier though. It, it means super abundance in quantity and superior in quality by implication excessive. And I've realized that much of the church struggle to understand this. And because we struggle to get it about God's character and nature, we actually struggle with it. So religion starts becoming something to default because the grace of God just seems excessive. It's just how could that person have done that So bad things, and God still loved them. Well, because the grace of God is excessive. It's scandalous, and it doesn't work in our metric system, but God's grace is abundant and excessive. His goodness is excessive. And unless we understand that, we'll never pursue God for the abundant life He has on offer for us. We just, we never will. The the promise of abundant life pulls us into the bigness of the gospel. It pulls us out of white flag living, I'm good here, into something of God. I'm going to press into you for the more and the fullness of what you have for us at this time. Oh, Mark, but I'm really struggling at this time. Yes, I'm calling you to pull into God. Uh, um, Life's really tough. Yes, get on the front foot. Believe what the word says about your Savior and trust Him. David understood this as he was crying out, he was in trouble, and he he cries out in verse 19 of Psalm chapter 18, he says, he brought me out into a spacious place, he rescued me because he delighted in me. I think David could have just written, well, he just, he just brought me to a safe place. My enemy couldn't attack me, just a safe, even just a cave would be safe. But no, God says, I'm going to bring you into a spacious place. And that the essence of the gospel and this mandate for the church is taking people from narrow, small Spaces into spacious places. I'm almost done. We've got to start living the way God calls us to live. Understanding that abundant life is going to challenge us. In these next few weeks, we want to focus on the scripture and preach into these areas. Number one, abundant life challenges us to don't stop. I know a lot of people who've stopped. Had some challenges. Health, financial, relational. Challenges in the church. I'm just going to stop. I want to tell you, our enemy is no respect of the white flag. You can't just stop. And God calls us to the story to keep pursuing. And, and the apostle challenges, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, don't stop. Oh, my marriage has always been bad. You don't know my wife. 
been told that a few times. I don't know your wife, but I know Jesus. And I know his mandate for your life. I know his love and his grace that is more than you need. Don't stop. I think there's a challenge to us to don't surrender again. I think a lot of Christians living out there like, I know the goodness of God and it'll kick in when I live one day, but we live with the white flag up. If the enemy could just leave me alone and I'll just shrink back. I don't want to really pursue God. I'll, I'll lift my hands this high in worship, not really higher because that would be radical. And I'm just surrendering. I'm surrendering. I've got a bad marriage. I'm surrendering. I can't have friends. No, don't surrender. Why? Because of abundant life in Jesus. Yes, I'm excited. I am excited because I believe in his promises. Don't struggle and strain because of abundant grace. Understand when you get this truth of understanding, Romans 5 tells us that even though we were still sinners, he died for us. While we were still in our sin, while we were still doing everything we were doing, he was prepared to die. If that's not scandalous, if that's not excessive, and lastly, don't settle. And this is probably my biggest challenge for every believer. Don't settle. Jesus fasts for 40 days. And in those 40 days, the enemy comes to him and tempts him. He says, hey, you see all of this? You can have all of it. But what did Jesus know? He knew his father. He knew his father owned all of this and all of this. So how could this thief and liar offer him earth. I want heaven. I want heaven. And I could easily settle for earth sometimes. As a preacher, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, we settle too quickly. Don't settle. Don't make a deal. Trust Jesus for the abundance that he has for us. And we are fasting for the next three weeks, and I'm not going to give us too much info. It's all on the website. It'll be on social media. Please, if you want info, but jump in. And if you can't fast in, in, in vegetables and fruits and you need, that's fine. But pursue God. That's the big agenda here. Pursue God. Pursue Him. And, and don't say, God, I want this and this and this. I'm telling you, your prayers are too small. Your, your prayers are too small. I love the fact that in, in the Milton community, there's a family who could not afford to send their son to school this year. You know what God did? God did a miracle. He gave a young man a full scholarship, all tuition, all accommodation, and spending money. They would have just taken, I don't know about you, but that's what I believe our God does. Our God does that. So jump into the fast the next three weeks. We're going to be praying in the mornings, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, Saturday morning, Wednesday night here, Wednesday in the city for those who work in the city at lunchtime. All that is on the website. But I want to give you one picture. Maybe just hold the picture for a sec. Maybe say, Mark, why are you so passionate? What are you on about? This lady's name is Suzanne Bucker. And I did her funeral on Thursday. And on Wednesday and Tuesday and Monday, I got to sit with her husband, Hank Bucker, her school sweetheart, married for 15 years. Navigated life together, go to their house all over the fridge, just pictures from all over the world as they've traveled. And to be brutally honest, my heart is deeply broken by the fact that she passed away. Because I was trusting God for a miracle, as I always trust God for miracles, because I believe our God is a God of miracles. But I got to sit with Hank, her husband, who in the most broken time of his life started telling me about their journey. 
about how in March last year, they found out this cancer was on her brain. It was aggressive. And so they made a decision to do, to do the things they knew they should have always done. And one of those was to encounter God. And, and, and they landed at a church called Life Changes in July. In September, they came to the new partners course called Linked. And they made friends and found community and started being loved and started serving in the life of the church. Amidst the pain and chaos and the brokenness of this disease. In October, we baptized that amazing lady right over here, and we couldn't get her in the pool because of challenges. So water went everywhere, and it was messy. But she was covered and immersed in Jesus. And then she held on to that hope and that love and continued. You know what the amazing thing about this? We have released wide. And we've released this amazing lady into the presence of Jesus. No more pain. No more sickness. But we get to walk with a man who right now is in pain. But walking community started telling me about it. He cannot believe. He, he, he always knew God was, was alive. He just didn't believe it was possible that his family was. His church. Mark, why do you do what you do? Why do we as a church do what we do? You know what he told me? I said his first encounter with the church. He told me about the person who greeted them at the front door. Then he told me about the person who made them coffee and shouted out their names. And they were a bit shocked that they shouted out their names, but they thought it was fun. And then how we laughed as a family. And although my heart is broken, and I've done this too many times, God is calling us to pursue him for the promise of his word. That our God is a healer. God is a miracle worker. And God places the lonely in families. And I will not lower the standard. I've seen God do miracles, and we will see him do miracles. When we hold on to him, we just get on his mission. This is not ours. This is his. There's no genius in any of it. There's just Jesus. Can we stand together, please? Can you put that photo of Suzanne being washed with water? The one before. Maybe you need this. Don't worry about that. Maybe you need this. Can we close our eyes? Don't know about you, but I need this. I need to be washed by the love, the grace, the glory, the wonder of Jesus. Completely immersed. I sat with my friend yesterday. who's in a, a low part of his life and has really messed up. If I didn't believe in the extravagant and excessive grace of God, the truth is there would be no hope. The problem is I've seen the extravagant, excessive grace of God too much. And so our only job is to keep pursuing, keep calling men and women to the place of worship before their king. But our job is to take the word of God and allow it to fashion our thoughts, our decisions. And I pray, God, as we enter this year already running full force, I pray for my thinking that so often settles, so often is tempted to stop. I pray, God, Show me Jesus, his life, 
his abundant life. Spirit of God, show me Jesus, his life, his abundant life. For the business people in this community who are going out into tough economic climates, show them Jesus, his life, his abundant life. For the marriages that have settled, show them life, abundant life. For those in our midst right now who physically are sick, I pray, God, show us Jesus, his life, and his abundant life. We worship you, God. We give you glory and honor. We thank you for 21 years of your kindness and your faithfulness. But we look forward. We say, God, we will respond to your call. This is not about a man or a woman or a gift. This is about a people who will trust their king and his promise of abundant life. We worship you, God.